Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inclusive Collective. I'm Rob Hadley. I'm what we call a cast member, supporting actor maybe. And now I'd like to introduce you to the star of our show, Nadia Butt. Nadia, how are you? Wow, nobody, I'm doing, I am well, Rob, but nobody has ever called me a star. So this is exciting. You're the star of this show, Nadia. Come on. I love it. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. (laughs) Hey, uh, so in addition to uh, haranguing the nice people at Spindrift on social media, Oh yeah! Right, you've been giving me. Did you get? Yeah, they've they responded. Uh, they've sent nothing. You saw that they responded, right? I didn't they see. Just, I have to go back. They and just look. they what just they laughed they at your comment. They did not. They did not send me a case just of just an LOL. <laughs> something like that. Like, I don't think they no, gave us that. No, what's your address? Let me get you. No, they have not. They've they've not reached out mango. to me. <laughs> they've not reached out to me, right. but I thought it was nice of them. But uh, uh, you know, so you also as we've uh, we've been doing the openings, you've been giving me some. Some uh, ask me questions about sayings, right? Uh, things mm-hmm. that people say, phrases. So yeah. I wanted to give a couple to you, and then I would talk about these phrases just in, at, at a high level as well. So first one, you ready? Deep seated or deep seated? Wait, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> Can you say that again? <laughs> deep seated, like so, like if I have a deep seated belief, or is it a deep seated yeah. belief? Deep-seated. No, wrong. Deep-seated, oh. as in Im- immovable. I don't know. Yeah, like it's S-E-A-T-E-D, a, like, like that? Yes, yes, versus deep-seated, which you some people seated, think that like it's, like, it's like planted, or... right? It's like not, not going anywhere. Yeah, right? that's what I thought. S-E-E-D-E-D, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I yeah, thought. Deep-seated. Yeah. Nope, deep-seated. Next one, oh. you ready? All yeah. intents yeah. and purposes or all intensive purposes? Intents of purposes. No, all intents and purposes. Oh, wait. No, I think I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, again, yeah. So, and then, of course, my all-time favorite is supposedly versus supposedly, which is Uh, made famous by Joey Joey from Friends. Do you you remember this? 
Sure. I do remember. He always used it's to say it. It's literally the only thing I remember of, on all of in all of that show, which I know you're a very big fan of as well. A huge fan. Of, well, there's some there's some work to be done in that show. But yes. So I wanted to hit you with um, those. Uh, and obviously, they're, because one of the things that I try not to do is not to care about those things too much. Right. Yeah. Well, tell me, do you, though? Are you a gr- like a grammar? No, I think. And, and so I think about and, and I try really hard not to ever not to correct people if they're if if I know that something is right or, or and, and they may say somewhat different. Right. So in the mm. uh, I, I think it's the I think it's the Isabella Wilkerson book cast where she talks about how correcting mm-hmm. other people is really a form of putting other people in their place, right? So the people that struggle, it's yeah, the people yeah. that struggle with these sayings are often immigrants or people from uh, maybe a lower economic background. Maybe they're not too worried about <laughs> the proper phrasing of these things. So, yeah, so I try not sure. to not to correct them. Um, what, what do you What do you think? It's so funny you brought this up, Rob, because just the other day my friend sent me a YouTube video of this person who was looking at a map of the United States and how would you enunciate K-A-N-S-A-S, the state? (laughs) How would you enunciate it? Kansas? Yes. So why do we not call A-R-K-A-N-S-A-S as Arkansas? Right, right. We call it Arkansas. Right, right. Correct? Yeah. So when you, it's so interesting because it was this person looking at a map who was an immigrant or someone from another country trying, you know, reading English. And it's very confusing to folks. Totally, totally. And I I actually, I really appreciate you bringing that up because oftentimes too, I think of even my parents who are immigrants, right? And they sometimes don't say the right, the, the words in a manner that me, my brother, my sister might say it or enunciate it. And I have to reflect on, well, why am I correcting? Them? Right, right. Like they've learned, they've learned a second language, like, uh, you know, very easily, too. And so I shouldn't be the one who's correcting them um, or, you know, vice versa. So it's just it's interesting. Right, right. Like <laughs> those sayings, like my my wife, who's an immigrant, has no shot at any of those sayings at like getting those right. And so I try yeah, to. Now, years when we first yeah. met, she said. <laughs> please correct me. And now that we've been married for 20 years, she's like, don't ever correct me. Like, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so thanks for that. So we're at the tail end of our journey on startups, as you know, mm-hmm. and we've had founders, investors, even DEI leaders and consultants join us, but no chief human resources leaders or chief people officers. So I'm super excited to round out or, or you know, as we start to round out uh, our series, and we're, today we're going to welcome an old friend to Inclusive Collective. She's, of course, not old, but we just go way back. Uh, and I can't yes. wait to talk to our guest because although she's had extensive experience with Fortune 100 companies in recent years, she's worked with many fast-growing companies with an emphasis on biotech companies and startups, which obviously is incredibly important and complex. Also, it really offers a unique or some unique challenges with regard to DE&I. So, so let's get to it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's Today's do it. guest is Priscilla Redmond. Priscilla is the founder and principal at Mave Solutions. Priscilla is a deeply experienced practitioner of organizational effectiveness, organizational design, and change management. As a fractional chief people officer, she partners with small and fast-growing biotech companies that are looking to improve, scale, or optimize their strategy, operating model, processes, and talent management practices, and build a robust people and culture function. Priscilla 
enjoys coaching executive and emerging leaders to help them discover how to be the most impactful within the context of change and leadership. When not working hard for our clients, I think this is important, Priscilla can be found coaching youth soccer, playing tennis at what she calls an average level with moments of occasional or unintentional greatness, reading a good book, <laughs> or baking with her two daughters. Priscilla Redmond, what took you so long to join us? <laughs> Welcome. So good to see you. Thank you. So good to see both Delighted of you. Glad to have you. Been far we, too long. <laughs> it has been too long. And yes, Priscilla, so glad that you could join us and so good to see you again. I'll kind of just jump right in. So could you set the stage for us? You're, you know, you're now focused on your own consulting and do work as a fractional chief people officer. If you could talk a little bit more about what that is. And then sure. you've, you've also been in many industries, right? So now more so around the biotech space. Could you give us kind of the high level challenges around DE&I in that fast growing biotech world or in that industry, maybe within that company that you um, worked with, and then just what your perceptions were and your observations, how might they differ from like other companies that you have experienced? Sure. Um, great. So thanks, Nadia. A lot of questions there. So I know. Tell me, tell me if I missed anything. <laughs> sure. So yeah, maybe just to simplify the, the long intro of my bio, a fractional chief people officer is basically I, I go in and help small organizations who may not have the capital or the need to have a dedicated HR professional. And the work varies depending on the seed of the company and how large or small they might be when I get on the ground with them. So it can be one-off projects, like helping them to design a specific process like performance management. It could be helping them build out the organization. So typically starting with the leadership team and then down from there. And in other companies, it's uh, putting in all of the infrastructure for people and culture. So everything from the values to the vision and mission to coming up with a talent strategy. So what's great about it is no two companies are the same. Variety is the spice of life kind of thing, right? So every day is a little bit different and each organization is different in terms of their needs. Um, so that's the, you know, what do I do all day long kind of thing. And with respect to DE&I, um, it's interesting. I think most large organizations have developed a standard format programming that often is designed to help employees uncover unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. um, spoiler alert, we all have them mm -hmm. as a platform <laughs> to then discuss how we manage around them and then create a shared language for diversity, inclusion, et cetera. So I often see larger companies, and I think this has probably been our shared experience here, um, that start with the concept of diversity and more specifically so representation, right? Like how can we increase the representation in our organization mm -hmm. and then move on to concepts of inclusion and equity. In smaller organizations, I find that it works um, a lot better to be less linear and actually more iterative in the approach. So mm -hmm. for example, if a company is really focused on uh, attracting talent that's diverse, the question is, how do you take steps to build an inclusive culture out of the gate that will then be more attractive to the people that you're trying to bring into the organization? So it's less the, let's be diverse, then let's be inclusive, and then let's figure out this equity thing, whatever that means, mm -hmm. and more around if we, out of the gate, figure out how do we 
you know, behave in a way that's super inclusive, hopefully that's more attractive to people who want to be part of that company. Right. One of the ways, you know, to sort of simply show that to people is our employees able to speak their minds. Is there a culture of empowerment or flat? How do people speak to one another? So when a candidate comes through and sees some of these things and they might say, okay, I can see it. So maybe I can be it within this Mm. organization. Yeah. So I have another four part question for you. (laughs) My favorite. Yeah. Well, I think that, so I, so I think it's really, it's really fun to have you. I think, you know, you've been working in biotechs and that's a biotechnology in that field offers a little bit of some, some different challenges, right. Mm -hmm. In terms of DEI, right. So specifically, I I believe a sizable majority of biotechs list themselves on the NASDAQ and, and there was a flood of cash in that investment space in 2020, 2021. And then combined with the fact that NASDAQ has these listing requirements uh, in terms of board diversity. Um, so co- companies have to disclose why they, if, if they don't have a woman, or if they don't have someone that's from an mm-hmm. underrepresented background, they have to publicly say like why they don't have that. Yeah, so, or what steps they're taking to actually try to get it, there. Yeah, yeah and what, and I don't know if you have any experience with this. And, you know, and, and so in practice, what does this look like? Do you have an opinion on the the efficacy of a requirement like that mm-hmm. um, does it lead to a positive impact? So, just your thoughts on 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 that step in your particular industry? Yeah, so I certainly came across this in a company that I went in house for and served as uh, their their chief people officer when we transitioned from being a private company to a public company. Then all of a sudden, it was more than a talent strategy to make sure that we had a diverse workforce and inclusive workforce, but also extending that to our board of directors based on these requirements from the NASDAQ. And so our approach was to work with our legal counsel to look at the requirements um, from the NASDAQ and really understand what was the timeline that we were required to diversify by, what is the definition of diversity and Mm -hmm. the way that it's shared by Mm -hmm. the NASDAQ. You know, there's a table that you fill out And um, our approach was to actually ask our board of directors to um, Mm self-identify so that we wouldn't be making judgments um, on the basis of what they look like or what we knew of their bio. Um, Because the the the, um, sort of the tenets of diversity that are included are fairly broad. Um, So it's not just on gender or Mm -hmm. ethnicity. Um, I think I'm pretty sure there was a category around um, you know, what country of origin somebody might be from. So at first blush, you know, you might look at some of these boards and say, they don't look that diverse um, based on what they, you know, what their biopics look like on the website. Um, But I do think the NASDAQ has done a good job of providing a more expansive list, if you Mm -hmm. will. But certainly for us, it opened up a lot of conversations around, you know, does this reflect the um, the patient population that we have? Does it reflect the workforce that we have? And, you know, the answer was no. Um, I was the only woman on the executive team, but we had already, you know, filled all of the executive leadership positions. And so knowing that there wasn't anything that we could do kind of at that level, unless somebody elected to leave the organization, Clearly the next step was looking at the VP level. And when we were actively growing that part of the organization, you know, we tried for every single role to generate a diverse slate of candidates to then, you know, hopefully have a pipeline of people who would be available should there be turnover at the higher levels. 
So that was our approach. I think for smaller companies, there is a little bit more flexibility on the part of NASDAQ to, um, you know, kind of round out your board. And so, but, you know, I think anything that's a nudge to companies to pay attention to this subject is, is not a bad thing in my book. Yeah. And I think just as a quick follow-up on that, did you, so were those requirements, so it was the requirements that actually started that conversation. It wasn't necessarily investors leaning on leadership to make those changes. It was, okay, now we're going to be listed. We have to, we have to do something and really think about this and be intentional in our, in our planning around our workforce. Yeah, actually in our case, um, we were pretty intentional before the requirement. So it's something that um, we had talked about actively as an executive leadership team, in part because I think everybody on the executive leadership team with the exception of one person um, have daughters. So, you know, as oh, we talk amongst ourselves, um, even though all of my peers were men, their lens was, you know, we want to build an organization that our daughters would be proud of. And mm. right now, um, you know, when I first took the job, we took stock of where we were from a representation perspective, and we, we included diversity and inclusion and equity goals in our, our corporate scorecard. And so we sort of took the steps early on to have these conversations and make sure that it was top of mind. But again, you know, I think Anytime you can shed, you know, cast a light on something that's important and have it come from multiple angles, I think mm -hmm. the chances are of actually doing something about it um, are, are far greater. Well, what I'd love to hear is, at, so you, you coach and consult with many executive leaders, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how your lens, like you, the, your worldview and your perspective on the world and kind of your experience as you've gone from larger organizations to midsize and to organizations that are scaling or have scaled, how do you coach, or, or not even how do you coach, what are the observations that you're making? And they're probably broad, but what are the observations that you're making when you are coaching these executives in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Because, mm -hmm. And I know that's that's a broad question in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the challenges overall that you're observing that these executive leadership members, uh, team members are experiencing? And what are some of the strengths that you're seeing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so thanks for that. I think, you know, my starting position is to be deliberate about anything that we take on in this space. And so a good example of that, that I think most companies are often faced with when they're recruiting, um, especially at the more senior levels and in an industry like biotech, where there's definitely a drop-off at a certain level of women in, in the industry. Sure. And so when I say being deliberate, I mean, you know, when you have a choice between hiring someone who's, you know, of a particular profile where there might be more of that profile in our right. industry and taking a chance on someone who is of, you know, maybe of a less represented group, but knowing that you're probably going to have to provide that person with coaching and mentoring and support that's not equal right? To maybe other people in the organization, it's going to be more mm -hmm. making that choice, right? Because at the end of the day, if you want to try to diversify, and I'm not talking about quotas, right? But I'm just saying, like, if you have 
two candidates in front of you and you have a choice and you can be deliberate about making the diverse hire, make the diverse hire, right? Like ultimately that's what's going to change the system. Mm -hmm. And so I, I bring that lens to it because I think there are people who've taken a chance on me in the past mm. and not because I'm a woman or not because they, they knew that I'm part African-American, right. But just people taking a chance on me mm -hmm. and provided me with support. And I see the value of that. But it really comes out, you know, people love to talk about DEI, but you have all of these micro opportunities to right. actually make a difference in someone's life. So do it. Priscilla, yeah, I, like Rob and I were so excited to have you on. One, because we worked with you in the past, right? And for me personally, I had such the honor of like observing much of the work that you did in our old uh, prior company around organizational change and uh, around organizational effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious when we talk about, when we think about startups and mm -hmm. you've partnered now with, you know, with organizations that are essentially scaled, maybe mm -hmm. some that are um, scaling. I'm curious, what advice would you give to the startups or to founders who don't necessarily have the ability to maybe hire someone like a CHRO or um, even a consultant because they're just so they're just work they're just working so quickly yeah. and trying to be nimble in what they provide that oftentimes I think that they forget about the development mm -hmm. that can help foster inclusion or help foster the culture when they're thinking yeah. about organizational effectiveness or organizational change. What types of advice would you give to them to, to consider or reflect upon? Yeah. So on organizational change and organizational effectiveness specifically, Nadia? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think like if they're thinking about as they scale, mm -hmm. I would imagine the culture starts to change, right? And they, yeah. they, they're starting to grow. So they got to maybe build hierarchies, maybe build a matrix. Like mm -hmm. there's so much that goes on. Yeah. And I think that's overwhelming for a founder. I, yeah. I would imagine. So a concept that, um, I love, which I can't take credit for this, but a, a woman who worked at Google and subsequently wrote this great article um, about, you know, giving up your Legos and the whole concept of the article is, you know, the, the scaling um, process that she experienced when that organization began to grow very, very quickly. And mm -hmm. I'm actually talking to a few of my clients right now because, you know, they've gone from five employees to 10 employees and, you know, might be to 15. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the absolute numbers, you're like, well, that's not a lot of people. Right. But really you've doubled the company in size. Right. And, and people are complex <laughs> and added, you know, another, you know, 50% increase on top of that. And each of those people actually in a smaller organization have more of an impact than if you were to add that same number of people in a larger organization, sure. in part because people have to take a step back. The people who are already there have to take a step back and say, all right, what's the part of my job that I'm willing to give up? Clearly, we had to hire these people because there was work for them to do and a role for them to play. Mm -hmm. um, and then things just get a little bit more complex. And it's not overnight and all at once, but it's little things like you know, um, when you can all sit around a table and sh share one pizza, <laughs> you can have a conversation and, mm -hmm. you know, give updates and everybody knows what everyone's doing and there's no need for formal mechanisms. 
once you start building an organization that maybe has people in multiple locations, even if you're small, some stuff doesn't scale down, right? So mm -hmm. then you have to ask yourself, how do I make sure that everybody is in the know on what's going on? What's the right time for formalizing things like all hands meetings and letting people know what's going on with the business or what's the latest update from the board of directors meeting. So it's this idea of, you know, planning and being really deliberate again mm -hmm. around how do you communicate with the organization and create a sense of belonging, right? So belonging is easy when it's a small group. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, in, in organizations, they get founded by people who know each other, who've worked together before. Right. And so it's really intimate and close knit. Mm -hmm. And in some ways you have to really just figure out how do you open yourself up and continue to create a trusting environment, but not have it feel like it's, you know, the first five people that came on board versus, you know, the next five people who came mm -hmm. on board right, right. and try to create some cohesion. But that takes, you know, thought, a lot of conversation and being genuine about it, right? And not forcing large company stuff, right? Programs or approaches on small company dynamics. That's great. Yeah, and I would, and I would imagine, Priscilla, you come into some of the organizations that working with and they're growing it's a time that they're 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 scaling up and 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 specifically there are opportunities where people say okay what are we doing about dei what are we doing about mm -hmm. uh you know and 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 where do you start on something like that mm -hmm. um do you lean on consultants what's what's the recommended approach that that you have counseled others to follow at that point when they just start it's almost as comes to you and says okay what are we what are we doing here and and, and how do i get started yeah um, so that's a great question. So I think a great place to start is to brainstorm a authentic and authentic DEI statement or JEDI, you know, just whatever the, the, the elements e of e yeah. Yeah. whatever order, <laughs> DEIB, DIB, maybe, maybe, the the, maybe that's the first step, figure out uh, right. what you're going to be called. <laughs> what is the first step? And right. it's interesting because in some companies, the diversity question is not a question, right? Because maybe the founders themselves, you know, uh, come from underrepresented groups. And so it's more frontal it's up here. They're, they're thinking about it. It's more on their minds. Um, mm -hmm. And I've had conversations with some founders where we've compared our website with other websites. Right. And they're pretty proud of the fact that, you know, we sort of look a certain way and we've hired in a certain way. Um, but I think that that's probably because it's more intrinsic for, for those founders, mm -hmm. whereas for others, again, it's always going to be a matter of who's in your network, who have you worked with, who do you trust, right? And for people whose networks are not diverse to begin with, um, if they're not actively thinking about that out of the gate, then I, I believe the conversation then does tend to go towards representation and how do we make sure that we're building a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, you know, I would say starting with some form of DE&I statement so that I can hear directly from the founders or the leadership team on what matters to them, um, anchored, of course, in their business strategy, what they're trying to accomplish, what sort of organization they want to build. And, you know, I love doing visioning work around this. So having them think forward and you know, even to say like, fast forward a couple of years from now and look back to this point, 
what would you be proud of having accomplished? What sort of team do you want to have in place? And then let's figure out how we architect a plan that gets us from today to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another really cheap, easy, anyone can do it idea is crowdsource, use your employees. Even if you just have a handful of employees, um, have them come together as a culture committee. Um, we did this at Gemini and it was great. You know, we had a cross section of employees, different locations, different levels, um, you know, representing different groups. And, you know, I would go to most of the meetings, but I didn't chair the group or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it was really employee driven Mm -hmm. and they did everything from, you know, Hey, we have Juneteenth as a holiday for the first time, but nobody knows what Juneteenth is. So we should probably do a lunch and learn and have a conversation and just make sure that people understand why, you know, they get to observe this day and, and why it's meaningful. But I think, you know, having a small group like that, that can inform the leaders, the leadership right, team right. on what they believe is important. You know, consultants are great and there are a lot of really great experts in this space. So I don't discount that, but I would probably value, especially in the early days, mm-hmm. the voice of the employee more because they're going to give you a truer sense of what's important to them. Why did they join the organization and what's going to compel them to stick around? Right. And Especially get, now, right? Yeah. With and if they get to be a part of it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, you know, it's better all around. Much more authentic. Yeah. 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 That's great. Priscilla, what are you excited about professionally and personally, just as you kind of enter the future? What's the, what are you excited about the most? Yeah. So professionally, you know, I've got a great group of clients that I'm working with right now. So I'm excited at the prospect of continuing to work with them and, you know, cheering them on um, and being part of their story. You know, what's really, really great about working with small companies is, um, you know, they haven't gotten big enough to have silos and to have all these separate groups. And I don't know what you're talking about. Departments. Yeah, Yeah, Rob Rob has no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And HR is still, you know, a loved part of the organization and not, you know, the, uh, wait, I have to go talk to HR, right? Part of (laughs) the history of an organization. Right. So it's just fun to be part of a team where you get to be an active member of figuring out how to make a business successful. And what I really enjoy about consulting is I get to see so many different companies at the same time, that that's just the way that I've structured the nature of my work. And so if there's something cool that company A is doing that I think company B might be able to get value out of, then they don't have to wait, you know, to sort of try that out. So I love running experiments. I love, you know, kind of trying things and seeing if they work. And then if not pivoting quickly and trying the next thing. And you can do that in a small organization. You can be agile in the truest sense of the word. Um, And people by nature who join, you know, smaller organizations are more risk tolerant Mm -hmm. and so are open, right? To, all right, let's, we're just going to build this process, you know, in a few weeks and give it a whirl. And if it doesn't work, like, we'll just move on to the next thing. No big deal. Whereas as we know, in the very large organizations, that doesn't happen, right? Or it's more, <laughs> much more it's much more challenging. Full stop. That way. Yeah, yeah. Full, full stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're always, you know, I know you're always learning um, and looking at new things. Like you said, just trying new things. What, what uh, resources? What, what could you recommend, you know, to our audience in terms of 
resources around diversity, equity, inclusion, or even organizational effectiveness, change management, things that you're really uh, using right now and, and, and excited about? Yeah, so great question. And um, I was giving that some thought ahead of today. So I think for anyone who's in the life sciences space and particularly in the Massachusetts area, mm-hmm. you know, most people are probably familiar with MassBio. You know, they serve the, the broader life sciences industry as an association. And they've got a wonderful set of resources right available right on their website and real people on the other side of an email. So if you have questions or you need help, right? Like someone will pick up the phone and kind of walk you through um, some ideas. And what's great about the way that they've organized their resources is they're fit for purpose based on your size. And I think there's literally a section that's like, you know, if you're just getting started, you know, where do you start? Because I think that's a question that a lot of us struggle with Mm -hmm. is, you know, where do I even start? This is just such a big undertaking and it feels so heavy and so big. And like, everybody wants to make an impact quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would say, you know, find the resources that feel like the right fit for the stage and size of your organization. Even if all you get to is creating a small culture committee and establishing a DEI statement that you can put on your job descriptions, your Glassdoor profile, your LinkedIn page, right? To just send a message to people like, hey, this is something that we care about. We're working on it and treat it like a journey, not, you know, a to-do list. Um, And so their resources are really anchored around helping people do that. So I've, uh, I've definitely been, you know, um, a user steward of their resources and we certainly leverage their input greatly to create some of the, the resources that we put in place at Gemini. Great pieces of advice and uh, resources to look out for. That yep. work. Yeah. Well, Priscilla Redmond, thank you so much for being with us today. Again, we'll, we'll, we'd love to have you back uh, and, and definitely appreciate your, your thoughts and perspectives on a number of topics. And, and uh, you know, so, so come back and see us uh, when you get a chance. Would love that. So great to see you both. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you. All right. See you soon. Take care. Welcome back, Nadia. So fun for me and probably you as well to catch up with Priscilla. So happy to have her on, get that chief people officer and a fast growing biotech perspective. So I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about, uh, you know, and so I'm interested to hear what you were intrigued by from our discussion with Priscilla. Yeah, thanks. First of all, Priscilla is a legend. <laughs> I'm so happy she could join us. I also never knew what a fractional consultant was. Yeah. So I'm glad that, right? So it's she had mentioned it's someone who, um, a consultant basically, who goes in, helps the organization, an organization who may not have like the need or the capital to hire a full-time HR professional. So I really love this concept and I thank her for sharing that with us. So yeah, I would love to touch upon a few things that I took away from some of the things that Priscilla mentioned that I found as being basically like gold. She touched upon this idea around mentoring and sponsorship. Mm. And um, so we, we, we've heard this with Steve Arns last week, right? In last week's episode, um, providing the support to leaders and executives, especially those that are from underrepresented groups, mm-hmm. right? You can't just hire someone and not provide them the tools or the resources to help them thrive. And so really giving them the support that they need to be successful 
especially as the company continues to grow and to scale. I think that's really important. So I love that piece that she touched upon. And then she also mentioned some very tactical steps as a leader that you can take to infuse DEI into your culture without having to like hire external if you don't have right. right if you don't have the capital, you don't have the resources or um, and I want to kind of reiterate it. And she said the very first thing to do is start with a DEI statement. Now, I know I can see you starting to have thoughts, but let me <laughs> let me kind of finish this thought here. So having the DEI statement or making some sort of pronouncement, right? Be intentional mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it. Align it to your business priorities, your your business strategy. And leaders, the world is starting to hold you accountable to your words and the statements that you release. So I would just question, do you actually believe what those statements say? Because your actions and really, if you are looking to do better and be better, then don't half-ass it, right? Don't be performative. And so that really means aligning it to your business objectives, aligning it to understand what the your customers are looking for, and really believe that DE&I can make your business better and how that really embeds into your strategy. She also mentions like the visioning and building the culture, you know, committee or people that a team of people from that is employee based that is uh, committed to helping carry out the strategy. All really good stuff. Um, And I love you know, this idea of bridging this DEI theory into practice. So I'm going to pause because I feel like you might have a reaction about the DEI statements that leaders and organizations have released and kind of how to avoid being performative. No, I think that I, I think it's great. And I, I, I appreciate that as well. And I think that if that statement is done well, it can be a foundation or serve as a foundation well, it should serve as a foundation for your strategy, but it can also help you measure progress or as you then sit down and say, okay, how are we going to measure our performance versus our strategy and then versus our overall mission? All those things can be tied together uh, or should be tied together, right? And so I think that a really well-written intentional statement can then lead to a really well-thought-out strategy and uh, you know, and obviously the objectives and initiatives that support that strategy, and then it will lead you into the ability to measure progress against those objectives and initiatives that support that strategy. Right. And improve, uh, right? Yeah, for sure. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. So that's, that's um, those are the thoughts that I had from the conversation. Awesome. It was great. Awesome. Yeah, loved having Priscilla. Well, that's, that's, so... It's, I get to hang out with one legend every week. That's you, Nadia. And so we had another Aww. legend, Priscilla. And all of our guests are legends, really, I, I would have to they say. Really I are. really would say. So, yeah. so that's, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. The Inclusive Collective podcast is a production of Refilion Media. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback at www.refilion.com. And you can find us on Instagram at at Inclusive Collective Podcast. And uh, that's... Uh, and on LinkedIn now. On LinkedIn as well. We have a inc- LinkedIn page as well, Inclusive Collective Podcast there as well. Check us out and uh, and follow us there as well. So thanks so much, Nadia. Uh, I'm Rob Hadley. And I'm Nadia Butt. We'll talk to you next week.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.